you say your name again just for the <laughs> My name is John Huntington. The, the real name is John C. Huntington Jr., but I don't use the, the junior at all. Um, I, I now reside at uh, 501 East Campus Avenue, apartment 212, also known as Heron Point, a retirement community here in, on the river in Chestertown. Can you tell us um, when and where you were born? I was born in uh, King's Hospital in Bayshore, Long Island, New York, on May 21st, 1923. Can you tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like? Did you have any brothers? Well, I was a new baby going to Lindbrook, which is on the South Shore. Bayshore is on the South Shore as well as Lindbrook on the South Shore of Long Island. And uh, uh, most of my uh, childhood was spent there. Went to grammar school there. Uh, it was a grammar school right behind where we, we lived. And in those days, uh, I recall, uh, uh, this is back in the, uh, in the 20s now, uh, or early 30s, uh, I, was I was lucky because I had had breakfast and some of the kids in school hadn't had breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, Finished with K through eight, and we didn't even have kindergarten. We just one through uh, eight, and went to high school uh, there in Lindbrook, and uh, graduated in, in June of 1940. And uh, wanted to go to college, and I couldn't go. And I, I got this in writing, so. Uh, because my, I had an oldest, I'm one of three children, I'm a middle child. Mm -hmm. And my sister, my older sister was uh, in college at Antioch in Ohio. And the deal was at that time, well, when she gets out, you can go, because yeah. uh, uh, things were tight in those days. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to work, and I worked in New York. Uh, uh, New York was about 18 miles on the Long Island Railroad. And my first job, I was an office boy and uh, for General Motors on old Broadway and 57th Street. I think that building's been torn down since then. And then that was 40, uh, 41, and late in 41 came Pearl Harbor, and my father went back in. My father was in three wars, uh, one, two, and Korea. Uh, and I wanted to sign up, and my mother said, no, one's enough. So I, I worked, uh, I worked at, at Farmingdale, which is about 20, 30 miles due east of where we were. And that's where they built the, the first P-47 uh, fighter, fighter plane. Uh, worked there and eventually was drafted and went into the service uh, on January 4th or 5th, 19. 43, and from there, you want to go on and keep going from there? Oh, well, that, that's, that's a, my childhood. Oh, yeah, well, I'll ask um, some more specific questions about that, but I'm also interested about how you heard about Pearl Harbor and what your reactions were after the explosion. I, I, can, I can recall uh, the, we didn't have TV in those days. All we had was uh, radio. You want somebody to want to come in? Oh, yeah, hold on, I'll, I'll get the controls. Uh, I'm following your, your agenda, whatever you, whatever you, 
whatever you want to try to follow. I'm scoot up just a little bit. Yeah. Good. Am I talking loud enough for you? Oh, no, you're good. It's just I okay. need to see okay. the microphone and the okay. okay, so we were talking about Pearl Harbor and how you heard about it. Oh, okay. The, the, yeah, at that time we didn't have TV, but radio was big. And I, I distinct, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I remember we listened to the New York Giants football game. And they interrupted the football game to announce the fact that Pearl Harbor had just been attacked. And that, that, was, uh, that, upset, that upset everybody. And of course, it was a huge, huge situation at the time. So your father, he was still in the service at that time? I'm trying to. He, no, he went. He went in. Uh, I think just before that, because there'd been rumbles of what was going on in Europe that something was going to blow, yeah. and uh, so he he had a. That's another story. He was a, a, a executive with Ducks Unlimited, and something the government got involved with that, and he said, "The hell with the government. I don't want them fooling around." So he he'd been in World War One and and wound up as a lieutenant commander because back in in those days. They had a, a naval, what they call a naval militia, mm -hmm. and he joined that as a, as a kid, 18, 19, or and World War One came along. He went in on that and came out a lieutenant commander, and then as a reserve officer, he said, "You know, you only go to serve your country when you when the country needs you," and uh, so that's why he 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 could see this thing develop, and he said, "I'm going back in." When he had this other disappointment, I said, "I gotta, I gotta do something." Anyhow, um, let's see. He wound up uh, as the. Uh, this is another side story. He wound up as a port director of the Panama Canal, and um, the, at that time, the, the Navy had taken a shellac in, in the Pacific, yeah. and the big push at that time was to get the the. Uh, Navy's Atlantic fleet through the canal out to the Pacific to reimburse the people, the, the naval presence out in the Pacific. And well, of course, you had to know my father. He was a piece of work. Growing up as a kid, it wasn't yes, father, or yes, Ted, or yes, sir, face the east and salute. So and this is, <laughs> I can believe it, but anyhow. The banana boats coming up from Ecuador and Chile w came up on the western side of South America and through the canal and up to the eastern seaboard, mm -hmm. and he refused to let them through. He said, but we got a priority. We've got to get the Navy ships through here, yeah. and it shows you the, the, the lousy part that politics plays in all this stupid business. Yeah. So to make a long story short, they, he gets a call from Washington. What the hell are you doing down there? And somebody is on my father's case about he's messing with the big banana boat boys. And so he gets yanked out of there, sent back to Washington, and winds up as a port director of uh, Okinawa. Yeah. And they, they got him out of the way in a hurry because he was, he, was, mm -hmm. he was hard and fast. He said, do the job and do it right. Don't screw around with anything, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So uh, he had to have some connection somewhere because when I was in Naples, I got a letter from him, and I don't know how he knew where I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, and my mother used to say, uh, well, I have a younger brother. He was in, I was in, my father was in. And uh, for a period of about 23, 24 months, 
and 42 and 43 that overlap into 20, uh, what am I talking about, 20, I'm talking about 42, 43, 44, tw period of about 24 months that overlap. All three of us were overseas at the same time. And my mother, my mother used to say, you think you got a problem? All you're worrying about you, I'm worried about all three of you, so, so. So, um, you mentioned wanting to enlist after Pearl Harbor. And my mother said no, so I, so I got drafted. At that time, draft was big. And then my brother got drafted. So I got drafted and was sent to uh, uh, Camp Swift, which is out about 25 miles northeast of Austin in Texas. Mm -hmm. And we did our basic training there, and we had a, am I allowed to use a vernacular on this thing? Oh, yeah, you can. Well. <laughs> I mean, if, if you want to. Well, uh, it's, we had a, a, a first sergeant, an old Dutchman, uh, who, who he, was, he was miserable. And they said, uh, and going through basic training, uh, you know, the, the routine. And he says, if you guys think you're going to get any sympathy around here from me, he said, you can go look it up in a dictionary, and you'll find the word somewhere between S-H and syphilis. So he, w he was, uh, anyhow. We trained there for, let's see, we got there in January, and we left there in July, about late June, early July. And, uh, we thought having trained in the desert, we were going to the Pacific. Mm -hmm. And we got on a troop train and we start headed out. And the next thing you know, we're in Colorado. Uh, but then the, the next morning, the sun's in the wrong direction. So what the hell's going on? And so we go all the way out to Colorado, the troop train turns around and goes east. And we wind up in the Chicago stockyards. And then from there to, to New York, where we're all, most of us were from, um, and then we uh, got there one day and loaded up the next night on Liberty ships. Uh, I don't know if you know what a Liberty ship is. It's a, it's a cargo ship that has five holes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they converted it to a, a, a troop-carrying ship to carry a 1,000 troops. And they would, they would put bunks, stack them like that. Yeah. And I was, uh, as I say, there was converted to carry a, about a thousand troops and I was number 1340 something getting on the, on that boat and the, I remember the captain or somebody drop your gear on the hatch you know, get comfortable because it looks like that's going to be your stateroom crossing the Atlantic so we crossed the Atlantic on top of a hatch which <laughs> and, and the, at that time the um, um, it was reported to be the largest concentration of troop ships and escort ships. And y y I, I can still remember or see you know, for miles and miles and miles, once you get out to sea, all the, the uh, destroyer escorts and escort car baby carriers and uh, for, uh, as forming a perimeter around this stuff, as far as around these big ships carrying all these troops. And... Uh, and we wound up in, in uh, Oran. And uh, in North Africa? Yes, on the North, uh, North African coast. Mm -hmm. And we got there sometime, 
what is June or July, about July, sometime on July of 43. Mm -hmm. But the, the North American, North African campaign was substantially over. Because yeah. that, uh, I've, got a, I've got a book here about that. Um, so we went across North Africa with Oran, Bazerdi, uh, Algiers, Tunis, I think it was Bazerdi uh, where we left from there and went to, um, to just south of Naples on a big, another big car, another big trip. And then uh, we were in Italy for a couple of years, going north. And uh, yeah, we did our job. We were, we were uh, an MP battalion, and um, when the, the sources of supply, we were in between sources of supply, supply depots, and the front line, and we were uh, traffic cops, if you will, mm -hmm. guiding uh, all this material, the tanks and uh, troops, you name it, uh, all the stuff they needed for the, the front line mm -hmm. supplies. And um, one of the really uh, harrowing experiences, we were in what, what was called the Naples Foggia campaign. But then the, um, as the Germans re re retreated going north and in, in, in Italy, they, there was, Rome was an open city. Um, with one exception, the uh, the Vatican. Oh, I got it backwards. Yeah, Rome was an open city because of the Vatican, wh which was right on on the western side of, of Rome. But the only part, the railroad track in, in Italy coming from north to south, like if you're coming from New York to Washington, you go right through Philadelphia and right through Wilmington and Baltimore. Going north to south in, in Italy, they ca you, the railroad came down like a spike into Rome, but didn't continue through Rome. It had to back up and go around and then continue south. Mm -hmm. so, so I say Rome was an, uh, an open city, but what the Air Force did was these, these troop, troop uh, trains were supplying all, uh, all the, the German soldiers. Uh, so they bombed the hell out of the out of the, the spike, or the railroad spike coming or coming into um, into Rome, uh, and they did a, a really a precision job of not messing up any other part of Rome except that that railway coming into the center of town, which was a a, a big transportation hub, and outside of Rome was. Uh, a Chimpiano Airport, and when Vesuvius, I don't know if you remember, you, you might not even been born then, but Vesuvius blew mm -hmm. in 40, uh, 42, 40, it had to be, uh, 40, I think it was 44, and they had, uh, we were, uh, got the word, the Germans' word to the pilots were, fly from Chimpiana Airport, just fly south till you get to the traffic light, turn right and start your bomb run because Vesuvius is about uh, just outside of Pompeii mm -hmm. and it's about eight miles, 10 miles, sort of uh, due east, sort of maybe east, southeast of Naples. And these guys would fly down in the dark of night, of course. 
And I said, go to the kid in the middle of the traffic light with Vesuvius is blowing up. And all these fumes and flames go up. It was a traffic light. T turn right and start your bombing run. And the Italians, we, we spent a lot of time in the port area. They had a circular uh, bomb shelter that was a cylindrical job. A huge uh, bunch of concrete, maybe about half the size of this room, built on a circular area going down. Mm -hmm. And any time the sirens went off, boy, you, you got to one of those things in a hurry. And I don't know how much time I spent in one of those. Is this, this shelter was outside of Rome? No, this is outside of Na oh, at Naples. Okay. So. And so when, when you and your, and your paratroops were advancing up through Italy, how were you received by the, the Italian citizens? Oh, oh, boys oh, along, oh, welcome. Oh, yeah, they, um, you know, they'd gone from, when you're so depressed, yeah, Mussolini was a big fascist, mm -hmm. and just like we got, uh, and the people, we are, if you'll excuse the expression, so damn stupid today we can't see what's happening. Mm -hmm. The same thing, history is repeating themselves right now, right here. Mussolini, uh, they, they, they get control. I, I, I'll give you this routine. I talked to, I had Latin in high school, uh, wonderful girl. Latin is, a, is the foundation of all Romance languages, yes. and I could speak a little bit of Italian, uh, and, you, uh, and I've got to talk to some of the people, and, uh, and the, the scenario goes something like this. Ask some, some guy, are you a fascist? Oh, see, so send you up. Well, why are you a fascist? Because I got four bambinos at home, and I got to feed the bambinos, <laughs> and if you want to feed the bambinos, you need money. Right. If you need, in order to get money, you got to work. If you're gonna go, if you think you're gonna go to work, you have to belong to the fascist party. Mm -hmm. No fascist party, no work. Right. No work, no money. No money, no food. No food, no feed them bambinas. Now that's the control, yeah. and you're seeing it. You've seen it right here today. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, run down to Cuba and spend a couple of weeks, <laughs> and then run down to Venezuela where people are standing in line for a bucket of water. Mm -hmm. So when. So you would say that when the Allies took control of the region, the Italians were well-received? The yoke was taken off. That they, could, they were promised freedom, but they never got it. But they, they were free from Muslim. They, they, they strung Mussolini up on a gas, so gas station in, Mo I think it was Milan. Mm -hmm. So so did you, um, I think when we met a couple months ago, you mentioned that there had been bombing going on Oh yeah. What was that? What well, was Naples, that like? Naples was the, the big entry. Big. It's a huge port. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I don't know what I compare it to, but it is a huge port area, yeah. and that's where an area that was picked out as being the most convenient location to supply all the to bring all the, the troops, the supplies, the ammunition the clothing, the, the tanks, the whatever, whatever you needed, that was a most ideally situated uh, location in that area to bring them in. So that, that place was bombed like hell all the time. Mm -hmm. So what, what was the um, living conditions for the citizens in Naples? Or were, they, were they evacuated? No, no, they, they dug down in their hovels a little bit digger. Mm 
You know, they, where are they going to go? Yeah. There's no place to go. So, uh, so after you were stationed in Naples, did you continue to move up? Yeah, we went up, yes, the north. We up through Angio and up and uh, eventually to New York, New York, to Rome, and on up into Florence. We got to Florence. But talk about Rome. The Appian Way is, is uh, the southern route into Rome. And this tells you, uh, this is a, well, our big family, uh, in-house joke at the time. And the Colosseum is on, a, on the left-hand side of the Appian Way. And this is a story that was told by the, our colonel's Jeep driver. We went up the, into Rome like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, just the break of, of dawn. And the, just a quote from the uh, colonel's Jeep driver. Mm -hmm. And his quote was, as they passed the Colosseum, man, what a job our Air Force did on that building. So this is... You know, how stupid can you get, but yeah. uh, how uh, ignorant can you be of history and everything else? So there was a lot of damage in Rome? No, around Rome. Do you know what I'm talking about, the Colosseum? Yeah, the Colosseum. Uh, and particularly if you see it in, in the dawn's early light, it, 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 the silhouette, it just looks like a bunch of lines. Mm -hmm. But um, I've been through it, uh, in it, around it. And it, 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 it's, I don't know how many thousand years old or whatever, but it, and it, but they're trying to rehabilitate it now. But it, anyhow, it was a big joke at that time. So. Did you get to spend much time in Rome, or was it just a quick Yeah, time? yes. Uh, we even had an audience with a pope. Can you tell us about that? Well, it's me and 150 other peons, yeah. and we got the, uh, on some time off where we all, everybody want to go to the Vatican and um, it's quite accessible uh, west of Rome, on the west side of Rome. And uh, we knew the Pope was there and we went, a couple of us went and uh, uh, sure enough, they got a sedan chair with a, carrying a Pope mm -hmm. and he spoke to about 150 of us in one, two, I think four languages. Italian, French, English. Uh, well, there's another one, but yes, I went there. And one of the, the tricky things, if you've seen pictures of that, what they call piazza or plaza out front, when as we went in there, there was a huge commotion over on the left-hand side of this monstrous square or circle, and a, a couple of black, big black sedans there. And lots of lots of movement, lots of commotion, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And finally, we were told that it was a Japanese uh, delegation that they were hiding them in the in the Vatican City because you know we didn't think much of the Japanese. And uh, sure enough, that was a Japanese embassy had been squandered all their people and get them into the into the. Um, the Vatican, which of course was an open city, you couldn't couldn't touch anybody. Was there any tension? No, but a lot of noise, a lot of racket. We, we, you couldn't. They tried to conceal the identity of these people. Finally, the word got out that they were Japanese. Then there was a lot of noise, but the, no action. 
because you got Swiss Swiss guards all over the place, yeah. and they're really colorful uniforms. Mm-hmm. So it was a so every so it was sort of a neutral city at that point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it was it was a an open what they call an open city. Mm-hmm. So it was no, it was never touched. I mean, it was everybody agreed you, you don't want to mess up the Vatican City yeah. for religious purposes. Yeah. So. Do you remember um, anything that the Pope said? Was there a message that he specifically? Well, I, no, I don't. But uh, I can tell you this: uh, I've got a copy of, of what we used to call V-mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was going with a what? Uh, what religion are you? Are you Catholic? I, I don't practice. But my mom's Catholic. Oh, okay. Well, I was going with a. I'm I'm an Episcopalian. If I if I go anyhow, I was going with a Catholic girl back home, and I I. Uh, I sent her an email or email saying that I'd had an audience with the Pope, me and 150 other peons. And I got an answer back that said, having made the supreme pilgrimage, you can do no wrong for the rest of your life. <laughs> I said, man, I'm in fat city now. <laughs> so, uh, I don't, well, he, his message, as I recall, was just one of peace and love and you know, nothing to do with the war. Mm-hmm. So it was very general. Oh, yeah. It, 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 so many different diverse cultures there. You, mm-hmm. No matter what you said, you're going to offend somebody. So. Yeah. Do you remember which, which pope it was? Oh. I guess you could look it up and find it. I could, well, one of my problems, I've got, I don't know how I did it, but uh, uh, I had, when I got back eons ago, I compiled three scrapbooks full of, of memorabilia. Yeah. And when I, m- I moved, sold my house here and moved out to Heron Point, I got rid of a whole bunch of stuff. Well, my daughter's got three scrapbooks, and I've got some of the stuff here. Uh, and I can get that if I have to. But um, she's got it. She's the yeah. historian, and she, she won't let that stuff go or as a matter of fact, I got a request. If you t- if you keep you take pictures of some of this stuff, mm-hmm. it's it's marked on the back as to what page and what book she took it from, and she wants to put it back in that place when I get done with this. Cause I told her this is what I want to get done with it. Yeah. But um, so did you? So did you have any? Um, was it sort of surreal to be in Rome, such a historic city, and at the center of such a big conflict? Or was it? Or was everything sort of going too fast and you didn't realize that? No, we had to pay, pay well, we, were, we worked our wazoo off on uh, being assigned to do this or do that or crowd control or, or these supplies are going through, make sure that, that it goes okay. And, but we had, we had some time off. Uh, uh, but it's, it's just, uh, I can't believe, let's see, it's 40 or 60 God, almost 70 years ago. Yeah. But, uh, well, I do remember going to Isle of Isco, uh, which was off, off of Naples, and there's a couple couple more places I did get to, after, particularly after the war was over. We were, and I've got a, I, the, um, Heron Point, Publishes um, what they call the uh, Heron's Beacon. It's a collection of of residents, 
stories, anecdotes, short short things. And I, I um, one night, this after the war was over, was and you uh, waiting to go home. And I got drunk one night and told the company commander all. And he said, ah, well, you need a little R&R. &R. So uh, sure enough, I put in to go to uh, Switzerland. And we got orders, I got orders to go to Switzerland and then go home the same day. And I said, hell, I've been over here long enough. I'm going to go see a, a country unmessed up by war. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have any money. So I sold uh, five cartons of cigarettes in the black market and got $150. And 150 bucks was a lot of money in those days. And there we, uh, then I went to, uh, I bought a ticket in, in Switzerland. And it was a, a pass that, that uh, get you on a railroad and I went all around Switzerland, Luzon, Bern, Zurich, I don't know where, I made a whole circle and came back and then eventually uh, I still had orders to go home so I went home and wound up in Fort Dix, New Jersey and who do I run into in Fort Dix, New Jersey but my old outfit. They had gone home and I'd gone to Switzerland. And it seems that the, the company records got screwed up somewhere along the line, and those guys were delayed. <laughs> and I got two weeks, 10 days, whatever it was, in Switzerland. Anyhow, I wrote, I said that uh, I, we were talking about, there were some veterans up there, but not too many. And we were swapping stories. I said, well, I'll tell you about it when I got drunk. So I put it in writing. So there, there's that brief of what I would, so they published it. So you could actually make $150 off five cartons? Oh yeah, in the black market? Is this a common thing, this black market? Well, you don't talk about it, but uh, you, you ask enough questions and you can, you can find out. What other things were sold on the black market? Ammunition, booze, mm. oh, you still got it today. So were you stationed in Europe through the end of the war, through D-Day? Yeah. So did you ever make it into Germany or were you just stationed in Germany? No, it was strictly in Italy, strictly. Uh, except I got to Switzerland. Oh, except Switzerland. Yeah. Switzerland. So when, um, so were you, when, were you hearing about what was going on farther north? Well, th let me tell you. Uh, this is what I wrote. It was summertime in Italy in 1945. Our war, the European war, was over. So this is uh, July, August. Our war was over in June. This is June. Uh, I say our war. The European war was over in June. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and we were all, at the, with that word, say, thinking about going home. So the war was over going home. But you, you, the way that you went got, got home was based on the length of service that you had overseas. Because on your uniform, you had a bar. If you ever see, uh, look at a uniform sometime, and if they have bars on the left sleeves, mm -hmm. each bar means six months overseas. Mm -hmm. I think I had four bars. Uh, some guys had six bars or seven bars. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So the guys that had the, uh, the longest service overseas were the guys that got to go home first. And then, they, then you got in line and you went home when they could get you home. So I'm right, uh, our war was over, and we were all thinking about going home. Rumors were predicting that instead of, and this answers your question, rumors were predicting that instead of going through the Straits of Gibraltar, we would be heading for the Suez Canal and the Pacific Conflict, which was still going on. Then out of the blue came the bomb and surrender. So then we, we were golden and said, now we can go home. So were you grateful that the war in the Pacific had Oh, ended? hell yeah. Yeah, so a, so jumping up with joy and getting drunk and having a big time. So they likely would have sent you to the Pacific had the war not ended in the States? Well, as I said, we, we were, we had heard rumbles that, that we were going to not go home. We were going to go not through Gibraltar, but through Absolutely. Suez Canal to beef up the effort in the Pacific. Absolutely. It was very, very viable consideration. So when you finally make it home, uh, what did you do immediately after? Did you start to look for a college? Had the GI Bill been around yet? Oh yeah, and and I uh, how to find this job. Now, that's where you used to communicate. Mm -hmm. Now, read, you can read through there. That's to my mother. And you'll notice in there, uh, all I want to do is go to college. Mm -hmm. And you can see the data on there. So did, so did uh, you pick Washington College or did the service pick Washington College? No, I picked Washington College. Mm -hmm. I was a dummy. Uh, I finished in the fourth quarter of my class in high school. I didn't do a hell of a lot of work. Here's that note. On th my daughter put that note on there. She won. That's the page and section that she took this out of uh, her scrapbooks mm -hmm. and where she wants to put them back in there. Um, I was... Uh, not a good student, uh, and I knew of, I had been here, my father had, had been down here on business. Uh, I wanted to go to Lehigh, but Lehigh people made it quite clean. They were taking care of people in Pennsylvania first. And this is like in December, and uh, I, I couldn't, hell, I'm 23, starting college, 22, something like that. Yeah. I couldn't wait another semester. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I knew of Washington College, and I I came down here and applied for it. And there was a there's an old dean, his the brick house right across the street from the campus. There's only one brick house in the middle of that block that was right across from the campus. It was uh, the residence of a guy by the name uh, Livinggood, Dean Livinggood. Yeah, I think I've I've seen his name. Well, he was the neatest guy. He was a hunch like the hunchback of Notre Dame, and he smoked a pipe. Like this, and it's a Mr. Huntington. 
you'll be lucky to get out of here with a C average. And I wish he was still alive and he could see my diploma. <laughs> and I don't know if you bother looking at the Pegasus of 49. There's a Latin scroll on my diploma. So I worked my wazoo off. So you graduated with much higher than a C average. I, well, magna cum laude, yeah. That's what's on my diploma. Because the whole first semester that uh, I was there, I was lucky. There's a guy by the name of Ernie Cookley who happened to be a, wind up as a very dear friend of mine, a lawyer here, and he just died a couple of years ago. Uh, he came back for the Pacific, and I came back from Europe, and he and I wound up as roommates on the third floor of Rat, what we used to call Rat Hall, West Hall. Uh, and we had to, he was older than I was, and we literally had to lock our door to uh, uh, study, because he was of the same mind that I was. No time for fooling around. We've been there and done that. We're lucky to be alive. It's now a chance to get an education, and we studied our wazoo. And the kids right out of, out of high school, run up and down the halls, raising all sorts of hell, and said, get out of here, you know. You don't know what it's like. So we we worked uh, we worked like hell. Was there any tension between the non-military students? Not much. There was some. The uh, the, uh, the 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 whole culture. Though, you t you use the word tension. I I, I prefer. Uh, I don't know what you what the right word is, but tension. That's not the right word. Uh, attitude I would prefer to use the whole attitude of people in those days compared to today is absolutely mind-boggling to me mm -hmm. I, I, absolutely, I can't it's something I just can't even associate with it because yeah. we uh, when Pearl Harbor happened I don't care who you were white black pink yellow rich poor uh, you know Wealthy, what I don't care what. There was a, a tremendous unanimity of of cohesiveness, of, of of oneness. We have a job to do. Let's get on with a job. From Rosie the Riveter to uh, I, I worked on a on a P forty seven before I went in, and now, God, the divisiveness that this sterling occupant of the White House has foisted upon this country is going to take decades to straighten out because never no matter it, I used to write uh, uh, very conservative articles uh, letters to the editor mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm on Tinder I can't say them anymore yeah. like the federal debt I lectured at Washington College well, that's another long story my wife would, oh, anyhow mm -hmm. for two years I lectured at Washington College when I came from Wilmington down here to, uh, before we start I, the start of practice, um, I lectured for two years uh, and went from Wellington to Chestertown to Milford, Delaware, yeah. and do the audit on the town of Milford, and then back to to uh, Wilmington to see my wife in the hospital after I'd gotten up at four o'clock in the morning to come down here and teach an eight o'clock class and down there. Anyhow, my pet topic was the federal debt in 1960. I think it was 1661. Mm -hmm. And there was a, um, 
head of the part department, trying to think of Gibson, Roland Gibson. A little, little short runt with a stupid-looking goatee beard, and I went to him and I said, "Doctor Gibson, uh, I'd like to know if we have any common students. If you get any feedback on my about my ability to communicate with the students, because I think I know the subject matter, but I've never had an education course in my life. I don't have a foggiest idea if my." concept of communication uh, is effective or not. And he, he rears up and gave me this thinking little smile. I said, John, every time you open your mouth about the federal debt, he said, we let you have it up one side and down the other. And I felt like punching a little bastard right in the mouth. Really pinko, and, and you, you'll excuse the expression, that's my term for liberals. We got too damn many liberals around here including Washington College. Anyway, that's another story. Another good story that was funny as hell. Maybe you don't think it's funny. There was a guy by the name of Doc Howell. Howell, a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I'll I tell you two stories. Might just as well. He had a habit. He taught, what did he teach? Um, economics, I think. But he had a habit. This is on the second floor of Bill Smith Hall. Mm -hmm. Walk in the door, slam the door, walk across to the desk in the middle of, of, the, of the room, and drop his papers or briefcase, walk over to the window, lift the window up, and expectorate out through the door, out through the window, what we used to call a pearl. I don't know what they call it now. But one of the guys said, what would happen if we nailed the window down? Sure enough, a couple days later, comes in, slams the door, drops the briefcase over to the window. He goes to simultaneously throw the window up and spits his pearl all down the window. And you could have dropped. He dismissed the whole damn class. And I got one more good one. There, there was a guy by the name of Charlie Clark who was very well known, and what really fostered me was the fact that he was an ex-Marine, and I don't know how the hell he was ever a Marine. He was a photographer. And he, um, he taught political science. And uh, you gotta bear in mind, uh, we, we'd just come back from a war, and we were hard as nails, and we didn't give a damn you know, for, for niceties and this, this kind of stuff. And we'd, we'd been through hell and seen horrors, and, atrocities, you, 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 you grow up in a hurry. Well, he, uh, New Republic was a really a liberal rag in those days, and he made us read that, and there was required reading in our course, and it annoyed the hell out of us that we, veterans coming back from the war, have to read this garbage about liberalism. So I, I, well, I happened to be the ringleader on this, and I said, I'm going to fix that guy. So there used to be where, uh, where the, the alcove is on, on a uh, main street there. There's an alcove where there's a, a donut shop in there. Yeah. That used to be a, a Fox's five and ten cent store. Three, of it, or three or four of us went down there, and we bought brilliant white cotton shirts. 
And the next day, the next, we, we got there to class early, and we all made a point of sitting right in the front row, right smack in front of his desk. And he walks in, and he drops his foot in, and he looks at all this brilliant red, staring him at the face, and he says, Huntington, get out. He threw me out of the class. You're a ringer. You're trying to aggravate me. And I said, you're damn right I am. Out the then I thought, oh, geez, I really screwed this up. And I was a, 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 an economics major and a political science minor, and you had to have both to graduate. And I said, God, I, that bastard will flunk me. So does the name Doc Ford mean anything? Well, he was, he was a, a, a veteran of the Spanish-American War, and he loved his, his cups. But he was a great guy. He was, he was a veteran's veteran. And he was, uh, he, liked, he was just a nice guy. And I went to where uh, the drugstore of Tonelli's pharmacy used to be. It used to be a gas station. It used to be a shell station in there. And behind it was a bar. And Doc would go down there in the afternoon and have a beer or two. Well, we, I went down to see there. I had to catch up with him. I said, Doc, I got a problem. He said, what's your problem? And I said, Doc, I have a beer. And I said, Doc, I got a problem. I said, I'm having a problem with Charlie, Charlie Clark. Oh, yeah. That sounds good. He said. So he said, what, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a, sp I want a Spanish minor. And I, I had one class in Spanish or something. I said, I want to double up on Spanish because I'm afraid this sucker's going to flunk me. So sure enough, uh, Doc said, John, we'll take care. Don't worry about it. So I graduated with a, a major and two minors. And Doc Ford, God bless him, he took care of me. <laughs> so. Actually, I think that we may have heard a story about Doc Ford. Did he used to smoke a cigarette? In yes, he was. He was a great guy. Mm -hmm. we, we got some really jerks up there, but they, he was really a great guy. So, I'll get off the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> so, did, so did you think that the town uh, received the GIs well? Well, we had Washington College uh, at that time um, had a rule that all the beer joints were off town to all the college students, except GIs. If you were a veteran, and uh, that created some kind of problems because you've always had a town gown. You know, it's up, it's down, it's. But on on balance, as I recall, we we never had many problems with a town. And it was a, a very happy relationship, because uh, the president at the time was uh, Gilbert Mead, and and he uh, uh, wasn't the, wasn't that much of a, a towner uh, like uh, who was a guy that uh, they just named the 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 old science building for Tully. Tully. He now that guy was neat. He would drive, He would attend every damn meeting in the town, uh, whether it, uh, I don't know what the topic was, but he'd show up just to, to represent Washington College. Mm -hmm. 
And he had an excellent relationship with the town and really a neat guy. And he'd been a big shot somewhere else in New York, I think. But uh, I, I think that the, the veterans were given a lot of preference. You know, a lot of recognition that they had done a job and they, they were a lot better received then than they are today. When you look at projects like this Wounded Warrior Project and the, the disabled American veterans and the, you know, the way they're being treated and the, the scandals in the VA, yeah. it just, that's all, that's all foreign to me because in those days it wasn't like that. It was just a, 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 a cohesion of, 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 of a cooperate, cooperation that, uh, was just very, very easygoing and very pleasant and very easy to work with and 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 uh, just it led for, for a, a happy society that, that we don't have today. So before we wrap up, do you have any other thoughts, memories about World War II that I didn't ask you about that you want to share? Uh, not really. You know, uh, I feel very lucky that I didn't, I, uh, all three of us, my father, my brother, myself, and they're both gone. My, my, my father's in Arlington. Uh, he, he, his rank was enough to get him in there. Uh, I, just, I just feel... Uh, Damn lucky to still have my marbles and mm. and uh, was able to come back and and live a normal life, get married. My wife died a long time ago, but we have three great kids, and uh, I think I've been very fortunate. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your service, and thank you for for talking with me. Oh, you're welcome.